I wanted to ask you, as did Omar Barada, about your public school teaching and what it's like to be a teacher and also um, be uh, working for office. Yeah, I, I love public school teaching. So I came into public school teaching through the NYC Men Teach program. Uh, you might have seen ads for that on the subway, but basically it is a program to get more men of color into our New York City public schools. Um, there's such a, disp I mean, the predominant, the majority of teachers, public school teachers are um, white and especially white women in our schools. The majority of kids are black and Latinx. Uh, there, of all New York City public school teachers, around 2% are black men. Um, it was a fun like thought experiment making the rounds on social media um, like a, a few months ago or like years ago that was like, hey, can you think back to how many black male teachers you had growing up? And I know when I tried to do that, I think I had one um, that I could remember. I don't think I had any in elementary school. I think I had one in middle school, uh, Mr. Khan, my seventh grade English teacher, who was so, so cool. Um, he's just amazing. I, I, if I can go on a quick detour for a second. Sure. I mean, we had, he used to make us do these journals at the beginning of class every uh, day in seventh grade. And we were supposed to pick them up at the end of school. And like, I love mine. I decorated with like a Pokemon card and everything. And it was my favorite. And I forgot to pick it up. And I reached out to him 10 years later because I was um, bringing some like theater troupe to the school. And I was like, hey, Khan, um, great to see you guys. I know it's been a while. And he was, he was like, great, I'll meet up. And when we met up, he said, I have a present for you. <laughs> I have a gift for you. And it was my freaking um, journal that he held on to for 10 years. Um, and he had like left and like went to New Zealand for a bit and stuff and came back to the States and he had held on to my seventh grade, one of his seventh grade students, he had kept their journal for 10 years and given it back to me as an adult. Um, and I'm not saying like all black male teachers will do that, but <laughs> there is something to be said about um, having a male teacher of color. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I, I think I remember him so strongly, not just because of that, because I kind of saw myself in him. Um, I'm, it's nice for me to be able to do that for my students. Uh, I don't know how many black male teachers they have, uh, but especially for math, like so few black kids go into STEM. So few black kids go into engineering or math or astronomy. And, you know, maybe if they had more black teachers that were teaching them math and science, they they could say, oh, that could be me when I grow up. Like, it's not just basketball. It's not just hip hop. It's not just this, it's that. Um, I could be an engineer. I had a black teacher show me how to do physics. I can be an engineer too. Um, and when I see how many of my kids uh, like math, especially the girls, because there's a whole thing about girls and math and like stigma in our society, the way we don't encourage girls to do math um, as much as we encourage boys. When I see some of my girls get excited too about math, that really inspires me as well. Um, and, you know, I am teaching um, while running for office. It is so hard to do. <laughs> um, it was already, I was already time, time strapped as a teacher and you know, I, I always felt like teaching was not just like one full-time job. It was like a two full-time jobs because of all the prepping afterwards and running a campaign is its own full-time job. And I'm just like, I feel like I have three jobs right now, <laughs> um, but I do it because I like care about the students a lot. Um, and I want things to be better for them too. Like if we can go back to the climate for a second, like I, I can't imagine being a politician um, who is near kids every day or interacts with kids pretty much every day like I do and not have a climate platform. Like if you're around kids, you got to think about the, 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 what the climate's going to look like in 20 years. Like I want them to be able to breathe uh, clean air when they're my age. That's actually uh, a question I've been asking everyone about, about what 
do you, do you think about the future, uh, you know, in, in practical terms in 20, 30 years and, you know, what the kids future is and um, how, you know, again, how things that might not seem interconnected, you know, are interconnected. So, you know, the, 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 the heritage that you've brought from your grandparents and your parents and the way you've come to um, interpret and apply their teaching and heritage, but also, um, you know, the, the, the variety of crises, like uh, I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily connect gentrification with the climate crisis, but I'm sure that you, I'm sure that you do. Or also, I know that you're uh, vegan. And so th that connection also with um, climate. Um, yeah, I mean, it is all deeply connected. It's funny, you know, um, a lot of people will tell you that, you know, veganism or animal rights is like a, a white bougie thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of people might not know that, you know, <laughs> especially in like areas in the South that are near like large uh, pig farms, they just like disperse their, their, their pig shit <laughs> in like these uh, huge reservoirs of water. And like the aerosols of that, of that pig shit goes and drifts, wafts over in some poor communities. Um, the only people that will, the only people that have helms, well, I don't, I actually don't know. It's probably a chicken or egg thing, or I don't know what came first, whether it was people who were poor were living there and they decided to put giant pig farms next to them, or if the only people that, you know, the only places where they could afford homes were near big pig farms. But um, right next to these farms are low income black people and they have respiratory issues and health issues because there's, there's literally like pig shit wafting in the air um, into their homes and into their communities. Um, and it's definitely just like, I don't know, it's violence against those communities. Um, but no, I do, I do see as all these like issues being uh, interconnected. Uh, housing comes up a lot and a lot of people don't think of housing and education as connected. But like, you know, when a kid doesn't have stable housing, they can't learn. I have students that are, um, you know, they can't pay attention. They're falling asleep and like. You know, for some kids, it's because, you know, they just, you know, they're they're watching too much YouTube at night or they're playing video games. But others, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I was um I was up late because I had to go to my auntie's house to sleep. And then the other day is, oh, I was going to my cousin's place to sleep. And then or I was going to my this person's that person. And like, you know, they just don't. If I had to be in a different per if a different bed every single night, I don't know how I would function during the day either. Um, And that's a basic need, like having a home like that's if you don't have that, uh. And, like, you know, this girl, she's so lucky to have, like, an extended family that can help her. But, you know, we as a society and we and our government needs to ensure that she has a home, like, a place of her own that she can she can call hers, that she goes to every night and it's stable. And I see that now. Even, you know, I've had such a window into my students' lives during this crisis because they're all at home now. And I can I can see the home situations for some of them. Like, I commend them. I, for some of them, I see how loud it is in their homes. Like, there's just so much going on. And I, I just imagine, I just wonder how they got any homework done this year because there's so much going on. There's dogs barking. They have two siblings screaming um, in the background. Their mom is on a call. Their dad is, this is a lot going on. And I just, I, I feel for them because it must be so hard and they, they persevere. Um, yeah, I had one girl too where uh, she was like, so sick she like had like a flu or something she had like a fever she came to school and I, I sent her the nurse the nurse sent her back up she looked like she was dying um she's i was like your mom sent you to school she's like yeah my mom sent me to school and you know i can't blame the mom you know the mom probably works a job where she can't 
you know, she can't leave or she can't leave that day to take care of her kid because um, she might lose her job. So she's forced to send her her girl to school and her school is her girl is like, um, you know, sickly, sickly, sickly. Um, and it's really unfortunate that we don't have enough resources for parents to have like child care and, you know, protective services so that they don't end up in situations like that. But like, you know, healthcare, the housing, the climate, animals, um, education, like it's all deeply, deeply connected. 